please be seated. Today's scripture comes from John chapter 12, verses 24 through 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will, be my, there will, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's all pray for our children. Father, we come before you this morning and we claim that you are good. And you are worthy of our worship and our praise. As we begin this day of service, Lord, we lift up our children to you, Lord. May the truth of who you are and your love for them and your grace be so real in their lives, Lord. Be with us today as we look into your word. Speak to our hearts. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, children, uh, please be dismissed. I feel like I need an extra hand. There's too many uh, gadgets to hold here. But, uh, you know, life is uh, full of surprises and unexpected things. Unfortunately, I had the unpleasant experience of something uh, very unexpected last week. There's this uh, lady, uh, I've called her Chipsanim for 30 years, uh, unexpectedly passed away. Um, she was someone that was very, very dear to me. Uh, she was just not my spiritual mentor, but she was really my, my mother. Uh, honestly, next to losing Joseph, even my own brother, uh, this is probably one of the most painful loss in my life. Um, and I spent 30 years uh, spending time with her, serving her, and that was my way of serving the Lord. I truly believe that as I served her with all of my heart that I was serving God. Uh, obviously, needless to say, there's an enormous void uh, in my heart for multiple reasons. It was very painful to go back to Champaign, Illinois. That's where the funeral was uh, for multiple reasons. Uh, one of the reasons many of you know is that's where my son's always be also buried. Um, you know, I'm pretty, I think I'm a pretty tough guy. I don't, I don't break down easily. I don't stress out too much. But uh, as I was landing, uh, I was looking down the win uh, out the window. And uh, I think this is the first time in my life, closest I got, maybe it feel like a panic attack. I felt this my heart just wouldn't stop beating in weird ways, thinking about uh, going to visit my son's graveyard, uh, gravesite, and then uh, knowing that what was waiting for me, uh, a weekend of just uh, sadness and just the funeral and all that. So needless to say, it was a very painful weekend. But it's really amazing that through even this painful time, uh, God has blessed me so much in just so many ways. I had the uh, great privilege to have the opportunity to give the memoir during her oh, wake service. 
And so, of course, I spent in my crazy emotional state and uh, uh, just uh, not clear my brain, trying to figure out what to share about her. And if there was one thing I didn't want to mess up, this is something I did not want to mess up for honor. And as I was thinking about just different things in my brain, this verse uh, was going through my head. These verses, John uh, 12, 24 through 26. It was funny, uh, Tim Chung sent me a text of encouragement, and then surprisingly that was popped up too. And not to my surprise, I guess many other people I spoke to, they're like, this was a verse on their mind. And so uh, it's been on my mind for this week. And so I just want to share with you all some of the lessons because I've been going through a different uh, Pat, uh, Matthew, but today I want to share some lessons I learned this weekend as I went through her passing and just what I was, as I was thinking about it, the lessons I've learned through her. And by the way, in this context right now, Jesus is talking to the Greeks as he himself is actually getting ready to prepare to be crucified. And he's sharing about how uh, he, like a seed, is going to die. And because of his death, There'll be much fruit. And he was telling the believers in Christ to say, you must do the same. So today we're going to talk about so several things about this life of a seed. That how we should live as life of seed. First point is listening to his voice. In verse 24 it says, truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly. In those times when someone says the word truly, truly, that means they're saying, hey, guys, this is really, really important. Do you guys ever listen to the radio when, that, when there's a weather coming, they got bang, bang, bang. It's like it's one of those bangs in life. Jesus saying, this is seriously important stuff, and I need you to listen. You know, in my years, like I said, 30 years of knowing Chiu I Definitely heard many, many truly, truly. You know, she was a woman not only rooted in the word of God, but she was so wise. I mean, there are a lot of people who know the Bible. But I think there are very few people who are wise in the knowledge of the Bible. And that's what she had. Just great wisdom, biblical understanding. And she spent her years teaching me some of these things. And I'm trying to learn, but... Slow learner, but I just remember all the things she tried to teach me. There's certain basic four things I always think about is, first issue she tell me is repent. Why? Because my sins hinder me from receiving God's love. Right? Because she loved me. She wanted to love me to love Jesus more. She said, you need to repent. Of course, second she always says was, you need to pray. She was a woman that believed adamantly that prayer is the, the basic foundation of our Christian life. She used to also tell me this Korean phrase, hymne, means be strong. Be strong in the Lord. There are many days, many times in my life, in my years of life, where I had run through many, many difficulties. And she would say, hymne, because God is with you. Right? And there's another Korean phrase that she used to always tell me, which means, till the end, let's go together well. These words, I've heard it, Literally, probably hundreds and thousands of times. That rings in my mind, rings in my heart. And these are words to me, it says, truly, truly. Because not only she said these words, but she believed in these words. And she lived her life. I think about 
the countless things that she told me, and some of those things, how just, it didn't make sense. It just seemed bizarre. It seemed counterintuitive, countercultural, counter common sense. It just didn't make any sense. But because I trusted her and her biblical knowledge and wisdom, I just said, okay, and I followed. I thought about that, and I thought about how it's so true with us, with Jesus. There's so many times Jesus says things to us in the Bible, like, fall to the ground and die. Turn the other cheek. Pray for your enemies. There's so many things that Jesus says in the Bible that just seems, just doesn't seem right to our common sense. It just seems counterintuitive. So what do we do often do when Jesus speaks to us? Instead of obeying, what do we do? We question. We judge. We criticize. We take his words because it doesn't make sense to us. We compare it to the cultural norms. Compared to common sense. Compared to what I believe. And ask, is that right or not? Because the reality is, Jesus has said through the Bible, has told us to be and become and do many things that just doesn't make sense to us. So the question at hand today is this. What is our attitude when Jesus says to us, truly, truly, I tell you? Do we spend our lives and our time justifying our position being right? Saying, well, that's not the social norm. That doesn't seem valid to me. It doesn't seem logical to me. Or are we willing to humbly listen to his words simply because he said so? So this morning as we begin this passage about what Christ calls us to do and Christ calls us to be, which seems, again, against common sense, counterintuitive, our question for us is, are we willing to listen to his words and obey his words. So the first thing he talks about today is about the seed. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. As I said, I've known Chisani for 30 years. When I first met her, she was this mythological figure. I've heard all these things about her. Right? And then it didn't make any sense. But after knowing for these years, I understand why people said about those things. She came to the United States about 45 years ago, I'm guessing, because we really don't exactly know how old she is, right? Because she'll never tell anybody that. But she came around 45 years ago. She was a daughter of a very high official in South Korea. Her father was such an important figure. When he passed away, there was a national funeral. The whole country stopped for his funeral. So she was sent by her parents to the United States to study to be potentially being groomed for a baby, a president's wife, or even the next president of South Korea. During the time when she was here, during her graduate studies, through this revival, she came to come to know the Lord. She got saved. And when she was saved, not only when she saved that night, that night when she was saved, she received all these spiritual gifts at one time. It was pretty incredible. So in time, uh, so at the time when she got saved, uh, she didn't really understand 
But all knew, she knew one thing is that she wanted to live for Jesus. So you know what she did? She literally that night gave away everything that she owned. Like 99.9% .9 of all her possessions. Her jewelry, her money, just whatever. At one point, because she gave away everything, uh, she was homeless. So she lived in a church. I thought about that. A woman that used to live in a, a mansion in Korea now lives in a church. Eventually, God provided a family to take care of her, right? And in time, because of her spiritual capacity, she became very famous. Many people wanted her to come to their church, wanted her attention. I remember many days when I spent time with her, she would literally get phone calls all day long from the whole world. People asking for prayer and advice. So again, because of her spiritual capacity, many, many pastors across the country, uh, across the world, wanted her to come to their church, to be a member of that church. But in year 2000, uh, I'm sorry, in 1990, God forcefully made her, she was living in Washington, D.C. at that time, moved to the uh, city of Champaign, Illinois, which is a cornfield in the middle of Illinois. And I assure you, she did not want to come. She would tell me all the time how much she hated being there, <laughs> that God made her go. Right? If that wasn't bad enough, remember she was in mansion in Korea and then she was kind of homeless and living in the church. And this one family in a very nice home which I got to visit was taking, she was living there taking care of her. She had to move to Champaign, Illinois and move into this apartment with Pastor Min's family. And Pastor Min has five kids. And this apartment is, I, I kid you not, because I used to live in that one of those apartments, is 900 square feet. In the years that I've known her, that kind of reflects her life. A person who spent her life serving. Uh, some of you guys may know, but uh, she's a woman who fasts all the time. So in a one-week time, she'll fast three days out of the week. This is for past 30 years now. And the days that she didn't fast all day, she fasted from 12 to 12. So I did the math. In the 30 years I known her, I realized the time period of 30 years, the 20 of those 30 years, she was fasting. Now think about that. She never slept because she was always praying for people. And as I was sitting there thinking about her, I was thinking, as I think about this passage, I thought, wow, she was a person who accepted that she was a seed in God's kingdom. You know, I thought about this single kernel of wheat. You know, I'm glad Tim was smart enough to put a picture. I was trying to find, how can I get a picture and put it up there so people can see, but Tim's so smart, he got that little seed picture there, right? It's tiny, right? Tiny in a big stalk of wheat, just one seed. I found out a 50-pound bag is $30. So a 50-pound bag has 600,000 seeds. So if you do the math, which I had to use a, computer, a calculator, but anyway, it's 0.005 cents per seed. Not very valuable. So I realized if that seed doesn't fall and die and stays where it is, it's only worth 0.005 cents. But that seed, if it fell and died, 
could potentially full, fill a whole harvest full of wheat that could potentially feed many, many people. It's amazing that 0. 0.005 cent seed has a potential to feed so many people. Jesus says we are that kernel of seed. Some of us may think, what can I do for God? I don't have any special gifts or talents. It's just me. What can I do? But I believe in Jesus. I believe what he says. If he says that's going to happen, I believe that's going to happen. We may not think we're special or valuable. But God says, you are the seed. I am the seed. We are the seed. That could do amazing things. Why? Because God is amazing. And God could take a point zero zero five cents and feed massive people. So the question today is number one is, do I recognize I'm the seed that needs to fall? Second thing Jesus says that the seed, it must die. So unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Right? So, concept of dying to ourselves is a very, 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 very difficult concept, and goes in every way against our natural inclination. Uh, we like to live in our comfort zones. Uh, we like to be happy about just be just good. Right? To deny ourselves and die to ourselves is a very, very difficult concept. You know, I have a, I don't have the best genetic background health-wise. My father has a disease that thankfully, not thankfully, I mean, I got the same <laughs> disease. So uh, at my age, I have diabetes now. Right? And so it's a kind of pain in the butt because there's a lot of things that you cannot do and you cannot eat and on and on and on. Right? But one thing that I just absolutely love is ice cream. I could eat ice cream three times a day, six times a day. Ten times a day. If I was, if I ever owned yogurt land, I would go bankrupt because I'll eat it all myself, right? I, I just love ice cream. Custard ice cream with strawberry topping with the chopped almonds all day long, every day, right? But, you know, I know it's bad for me. <laughs> it kills my blood sugar, right? It's like blood sugar, ice cream, blood sugar, ice cream, right? But the reality is I eat way much, uh, way too much ice cream than I should. Because you know why? I just cannot deny myself the pleasure of eating ice cream. I just love it so much. I just can't deny the pleasure of eating ice cream. Because ultimately, that's our struggle, right? Our unwillingness to submit what God wants us to do with what is right. Because we cannot stop the desire to satisfy our pleasure. Because we're all about self-preservation, aren't we? Do what, what makes me happy. Do what's good for me. You know, this whole coronavirus uh, is, is obviously is kind of scary. But at the same time, it's very interesting as a physician. So I was reading the other day, there's about, <clears throat> about 100,000 cases in the whole world right now. And I don't know, there's like several thousands of people died. Is that right? Something like that. Two, three thousand people died. And I mean, it's scary. Uh, but, you know, I mean, 
I don't know if people are aware of this, but right now in the United States, I believe there's like, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred cases. Is that right? And so I don't know if people are aware, but last year in the United States, the regular flu, just regular flu, there were 49 million cases in the United States. Okay, compared to what, 200? Okay. Last year in the United States, there were 79,000 deaths in the United States from the regular flu. This year alone, so far, they're thinking about 10 to 20,000 people died of the regular flu this year. So, you know, I know the, it's a scary disease, I understand, but at the same time, there's a lot of hype going on, right? And it's making people, like, a little bit crazy. So I remember, so I have a brother-in-law who is Chinese, and his parents are from mainland China. So they asked me, I said, hey, can you send us some masks to China? By the way, those masks do nothing. Okay, just letting you guys know. Okay, they do nothing. Okay. But anyway, so I said, sure, you know, I'll get you some masks. So I called the medical supplier here. And they said, there are no masks available because they're only in China now. Okay. I was on the way here, I was listening to the news, and uh, they said they're it's a shortage of hand sanitizers in North Texas now. I hear stories of grocery stores empty of water and uh, bread and from their, uh, you know, from their grocery stores. I was thinking, hmm, self-preservation is a very strong and alive in our, in our country. Then I was thinking to myself, how are we supposed to be as Christians? I was thinking, if I store up everything, all the food, all the hand sanitizers, and leave it in my house. I'm thinking, how about the other people? How about the rest of the world? You know, someone said, scientifically, if a, you guys know what an EMP is? It's an electrical nuclear bomb, basically. Nothing blows up, but everything electrically dies. They said, if an EMP goes off in the United States, that affects the whole country, they said 90% of people will be dead within the first year. Do you know why? One of the reasons? Because people are hoarding things. And so other people don't have anything to eat or to drink. I mean, I personally, as a Christian, if there was a nuclear war, I'd just rather be dead and go with the Lord than try to fight for my life in this radioactive world, personally. The point is, this sense of self-preservation is so strong that for us to die to ourselves, deny ourselves, is such an odd concept. At least for the secular world, it's such an unnatural process. But in the eyes of Jesus, he tells the Christians, it's a must. It's a command. You know, I will talk about a little bit about this whole process of dying. First thing that we must do as we try to die to ourselves and deny ourselves is that we need to admit, really, deep down inside, we really don't have any desire to die or deny ourselves. Let's be honest. That we are driven by our selfishness and we do everything possible for ourselves. A lot of times we do nice things and good things, even at church. A lot of times it's to ease our conscience so that ultimately the thing that controls us, we don't have to die to. When we really acknowledge who we really are, 
What happens? It brings us to a fork in the road. Because right now we live in this view of ourselves. We really haven't acknowledged who we are. So we have yet to get to that fork when the fork says what? I either deny myself and live for Christ or live for myself. Uh, I've been to church growing up all my life since I was seven and a half years old. But at the age of 20, I got saved. After being saved for three years, I really, first year I was all fired up. And then after that, I was just like, struggling my spiritual life. Almost back to less than a nominal Christian. And then at the age of 23, God spoke to me and really caused me to come back to the Lord. And I realized how, where I was spiritually. And God gave me this verse, Luke 9, 23. talks about if you're going to be as a Christian, you've got to deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me. At that point, I realized my Christianity consisted of a Savior that saved me from hell. But definitely, I did not have a Lord that I followed. Process of denying starts with one step. One step to recognize who I really am. And from that step, we take one small step after another. What are the things that hinders us from taking those steps closer to God? Because Jesus says we must die so that we can live. When we recognize we're a kernel of seed and we decide to die for the Lord, then what happens? It produces other seeds. It says if it's alone, if it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. What people forget is when we talk about dying to ourselves and dying for Jesus and all that, people think that's our goal. But it's not the goal. It's actually a process that we go through for a greater goal, which is what? To bear much fruit. It is not the end. It's just merely the roadway. Because ultimate purpose of dying to ourselves, following Christ, is to produce more seeds and his fruit. There's a greater reason why we choose to take the road that we take. So when I was at uh, the funeral, at the wake service, uh, about, about 800 people showed. Honestly, I think it was less than expected, but I think there was so much travel ban. Uh, many people from Korea couldn't come because they weren't allowed to come. As I looked around, there were literally people from the whole world, <laughs> around the world that were there. From Africa, Southeast Asia, Asia, I mean just everywhere. And I was looking around, it dawned upon me. And I'm not trying to exaggerate, but the majority of people there were either full-time pastors, missionaries, or workers of God as lay people. It was really, it was really impressive. I was like, so Pastor Man, I was just talking like, wow, that's really amazing. I thought about the magnitude of her life. Her single seed dying how it affected the kingdom of God. That she decided to be a seed that fell and died to produce many seeds. I was thinking to myself, when I die, when that day comes, what kind of seed would I have been? Would I have been the seed that's hanging to dear life at the stalk of that wheat? Or would I have been a seed that fell and died, that bared some fruit for the kingdom of God? 
So question for us this morning is, um, how much do we desire to be deceived? To expand the kingdom of God? Or are we too busy living? Next, verse 25, Jesus goes on and says, Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus says at this point, talks about how much we love the life that we live on this earth. But if you really think about it, what it seems to be really asking is, he's asking the question, what is the purpose of your life? Is our purpose to live this life in order to maximize our happiness and pleasure? Or do we see this life from a different perspective? the rest of the world. The rest of the world sees this life as a playground. And everything in it is a source or supply train for their pleasure and happiness. Unfortunately, I think we as Christians often think the same. Our view of living this life is too often compatible in alignment with the rest of the world. We are fully engaged in keeping up with the Joneses. We are so busy trying to impress this world and find satisfaction from this world who stands against biblical truth. God has a purpose for us, for our existence. And it wasn't to, for us to passionately love this world, but it's to be the light of this world. That's why, see, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our tendencies. He knows how much we want to love this world and be loved by this world. That's why Jesus says, choose to hate your life in this world. Now, what I mean by hate, let's not get mistaken thinking, I want you to go hate yourself or, you know, I hate me. You know, I'm not talking about that hate. Because if you look at the Bible in the Old Testament, God says he loved Jacob but hated Esau. It doesn't mean that God hated Esau. Like, poor Esau, right? No. It means that God chose Jacob did not choose Esau, whatever his wisdom, right? So what Jesus is telling us is not to be hateful, okay? But he's saying, choose which life will love and live for. You know, when I talk to people about this love and hate thing about ourselves and life, whatnot, inevitably, this loving ourselves issue comes up. You know, in my, in my, <laughs> in my, free time, my part-time, unofficial job is counseling. So when I talk to people who are depressed, you know, it's almost guaranteed. Inevitably, they say, I need to love myself more. And that's the answer given. It's, Jesus says, you don't need to love yourself more <laughs> because you love yourself plenty. So is Jesus being a hater <laughs> and doesn't want us to be happy? Or do we have a serious misunderstanding? Right? We innately have this inner desire to love ourselves the thought of hating ourselves seems to be just sheer madness. Right? But Jesus says, don't love your life here. Right? Love, quote, hate this world because there's another world waiting. Right? We are constantly consumed by self-comfort, trying to make our lives as easy as possible. Right? And the more successful we are making that happen, the more we fall in love with this life. 
more we fall in love with this life, less clear our purpose in life becomes. Less clear where our real home becomes. Because our home is not here. Our home that we want to love is not here. Our goal in this life is not get everything what we want in this world, but to sacrifice in this world our life in eternity. Jesus often tells people that if you receive your rewards on earth, then there's no rewards in heaven. You know, if you look around the world, much of what it believes and what it stands for goes against biblical truth and what God commands us. And the question is, how can we love this world so much? If this world stands in so many ways against biblical truth and what God wants, how can we love this world so much? What does it say about us? Where is our love? Is our love here? Or is our love in heaven? Jesus says, love the right things. Not only does it say that in the next verse, it says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant also be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor me. Jesus says, if anyone serves me. So which means, he doesn't say, as everyone serves me. He says, if anyone serves me. So which means, Jesus understands, there will be people who will claim to be Christians that will not serve the Lord. He knew that not everyone will follow his ways. So really the, one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, am I a servant of Christ? And does my life reflect it? If, I, if you believe you're a servant of Christ, here's some words I could give you some, about some encouragement direction about servant. First thing about servant is that we own nothing. This is not a complete list, but something's on my mind. Well, first, as a servant, we own nothing. We're just using the thing that belongs to the master. Unfortunately, we are consumed by the word mine. My money, my house, my things, my family, mine. So, in life, I had had many different jobs. So recently, I have inherited this job called babysitting. So during our leaders' meetings, I have the great pleasure of being the official babysitter for Sophie and Evie. Right? So my job is to keep them entertained for 30 or 40 minutes without driving them crazy or driving myself crazy. Right? Okay. So the other day, uh, I have Sof uh, Evie on my lap, Sophie on the chair. Right? I'm trying to keep them busy. And then... Um, Sophie, you know that lost and found section back there with all the books, right? So Sophie found this book. So she brings a book. And I like this book because it's really easy. To, the book keeps it entertained, not me, right? So you push a button, it plays this music, right? So all I have to do is keep it entertained is do this. And they look at me and they're smiling and they're doing this. I'm thinking, oh, you know. And every time the song ends, I push another button, right? <laughs> That's what I do, right? For 30 minutes. And so we're playing, we're playing, and then, you know, Evie really gets into it, right? 
Right? She's smiling, smiling. And next thing, of course, Eve is a baby. What she likes to do is grab things. Right? So here's Sophie with the book. And then Evie's like, now we're pushing the button. And Evie's like, hey, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Let me get some action into that, right? She's grabbing and she's trying to poke and punch it at her, right? And the first thing Sophie says is what? Mine. And I told Sophie, hey, that's not even your book. You got it from over there. <laughs> that's not yours. The church's book. She goes, mine. We often think the things that belong to God belongs to me, and it's mine. <clears throat> In my past three years, or two and a half years after uh, Joseph died, uh, you know, there's all these thoughts that go through my brain. And one of the things I try to tell myself frequently is that uh, Joseph was not my son, but he was God's son. And his father decided to take him back when he was a teenager. Recognizing that things are not mine, but it's God's. Will help us to be better servants rather than masters. Another thing about servant is that when we serve, we serve for the pleasure of the master. That so goes against the green where our default thinking is what? For most decisions we make is, is it going to make me happy? Am I going to like it? Am I going to enjoy it? It's not, would God be pleased with it? I was always taught, if you love Jesus, you will love the things that he loves. So often our thoughts are consumed by my self-centeredness instead of Christ-centered. Do we think, is this going to give pleasure to the Lord in what I do, in what I say, how I spend my time, how I spend my money? Is the master's wish a top priority? We serve the pleasure of the master. Finally, as a servant, it pleases us what pleases the master. What gives us joy? Have you thought about that? What gives us joy? Does God being glorified give us joy? Does God being worshipped give us joy? Does a lost soul being saved give us joy? To see Jesus shine, does that give us joy? I think the source of our joy reveals a lot what master that we serve. Next thing that Jesus says is that um, if you serve me, you must follow me. Where I am, there my servant be also. Jesus talks about location, place. I think if we are followers of Christ, we walk in the same path as Jesus did. 
Jesus lived a life of sacrifice. He lived a life of death. He lived a life of resurrection. Is that the path that we're walking? Does our lives, does the path that we're going, walking on, mimic that of Jesus? Because ultimately, the place Jesus is, is at heaven. Is our home heaven? Is that the purpose why we walk? That our goal of walking is ultimately get to heaven? Or do we have a different destination? Finally, Jesus says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Right. There are things that Chipsanyam really didn't like. She, there's just something she really hated, actually. And the thing that she hated is when people talked about her in a good way. Right. Like she just wanted to be as unseen as possible. Like if she was here right now, she would probably like beat me up. Right. So good thing she's not here. I could see her giving me the evil eye right now up in heaven going, what is he doing? She just wanted to be forgotten. Like people wanted some of the possession that she owned. And she specifically said, I don't want anyone keeping anything of mine. I just want to be forgotten. Just like a seed that dies. When you have a seed that dies, no one ever says, oh my gosh, look at that seed that died. That's fabulous. What? Like, they don't know what the seed is anymore. Because she always said, the credit I want to receive, whatever credit there is, if there's anything, notice whatever it is, right? I want it from the Lord. I want it from God. She didn't want recognition from men. She just wanted approval from God. See, I think that sometimes we forget what our reward is. Our reward is A, being approved by God. And second, it is God. You know, I talked to some non-Christians. They say, oh, man, heaven would be so boring. I said, why? He goes, all you do is stand there hang out with God. You don't get to any fun. You know, I go, hmm. And I tell them. God is so complete that just being with him will completely fulfill any desire. Any, well, he just completely satisfies you with joy. You don't need anything else. Because God is all in all. As we walk, as we serve, as we live, how important is it to be acknowledged by God? And is that what we live for? Are we living for acknowledgement of people? Uh, in conclusion, Jesus calls us to be seeds in the world that will die to produce a harvest. He also knows the struggles that we have because we're human beings with selfish desires and how much we love the world. Because of that, we have often forgotten our purpose. We often forget that we're seeds destined to be uh, seeds that die to produce a harvest. We often forget that this is not our home. That heaven awaits us. Because one day we will all go to home.
One day we'll all see Jesus face to face. And we'll stand before Jesus. But the question is, when he sees us, would God see us as a seed that refused to fall, refused to die? Because our love for this world was too strong. Or would he say to us, my good and faithful servant, you've done all you can. I hope that we can all be the seed that's willing to fall and die and love Jesus more. Let's pray. Let's take a minute and just pray to the Lord and ask him, Lord, help me to be the seed that's willing to fall and die. raise a harvest for eternity. Let's ask God, forgive us, forgive me, Lord, for my love for this world so strong. Help me to love you, God, more than this world. Let's pray for a minute. Father, we confess our sins to you. And we come humbly asking you, Lord, help us to love you more than this world. Help us to be seeds. But through your love and your grace, we know that you could do amazing things, Lord.